0: The title this morning is The Thing That You Don't Want to Do. And it's going to be powerful. I'm going to keep it down to 30 minutes by the grace of God. You guys believe in miracles? Then believe with me, okay? And we'll believe for a miracle today because we want to do that. It's more important that you capture something and take it out of this house than that I get all my notes done, okay? So now I got to live up to that. It's really important. I'm going to talk about the solution to some problems. Those are always nice sermons. Um, Hard transition. Some of you right now are in a transition of some sort. You know a transition. It's a change. You guys love change, right? How many of you are in change and you're not exactly happy about it and you don't know what to do with it? Just raise your hand. If you raise your hand, you're human. If you didn't, I doubt you're being truthful. I mean, change hits us constantly, Actually, change is probably one of the proofs of life that proves you're really alive. I mean, the only time change really stops, and technically it doesn't um, for the physical part, is after we die. But um, I tell you, it's not easy. Oppression, opposition, depression, spiritual paralysis. Some of you guys today are secretly mad at God. You're doing your best to pretend everything's okay, because in in church that works. We think that's what we're supposed to do, but we are. We're upset because I didn't expect life to be this way. I thought my marriage would turn out differently. I, I thought I'd be married by now. I just I don't understand why this disease plagues me. I don't understand why this happened in my family. So we do our best. We come to church. We can carry on a charade. But this anger in us is eating us alive, and we don't know what to do with it. That's life for a lot of people in this room, and it's life that, that my wife and I have gone through many times in our lives. And as you grow older, ah, things sag and change, and what used to be strong is something else now. It's just, and you know, that people like me who are believing to be taller someday find themselves for some reason shrinking down a little bit. I don't, you know, you just don't know. Change comes whether you want it or not. Some of you are dealing with empty house, empty nest syndrome. Some of you are dealing with kindergarten to first grade transitions. It goes on and on. I mean, the changes, job changes. Uh, you got, I don't even have to explain it more. Some of you are feeling weak and defeated. You're discouraged. I've felt all of these things. You feel like you're wandering. You're lost without an anchor. Many times, as Christians. If we're honest, we feel like we're just floating through and carrying on but not living. I'm just describing the human condition because we're people. Humans live like this. We'd like to believe we're not. We do everything we can by scheduling things, pre-planning things, doing everything we possibly can to order our universe. But even the universe we found, physics has changed. Even the universe is constantly changing, the laws that we counted on are evidently fluctuating in ways we didn't realize. Everything is changing, and so we have to learn how to manage change. Uh, Sometimes we feel separated and distracted, um, overwhelmed by the size and impossibility of something that's in our lives, whether it's a disease, it's refining ourselves, finding a job after losing the perfect job. All these things hit us. Uh, personally i'm i have been in uh, i think the lord has caused me to grow the most in my life in the t moments the transition moments it first occurred to me i realized what he was doing i didn't exactly appreciate why but i understood what he was doing uh, in my high school and college days when i struggled and struggled to find myself finally in, in uh, I think junior year of college, I really came to a, a discipleship relationship with Jesus. And I began to know who I was. Then some gifts came up, and I was known then as a singer primarily and as a songwriter. And so I started a band, and we sang all over the place. And uh, my senior year, got offered to, to have a record contract with a major label at that time and uh, had just got accepted to uh, Oral Roberts University. And I had to pray about that and say no. Because God had told me I was supposed to go to that school. So I go to the school. I had to find myself. So I was known back home, had a band that toured maybe a three-state area. And we had some success. It was really cool. I go to ORU and I'm stranger at zero. So I had to remake myself. I had to go home with myself and go to the chaplain of the university. And then I had to do an audition. And gradually I started to be known to ORU and I could sing. Because, you know, that's what I was. I was tied to my title. And I participated in a couple albums for Oral Roberts University, and uh, then I'm out of college. And uh, then I go to another college, and I'm, nobody knows me there. So I start all over again. And then after graduating from the second university, then I actually get a job. I'm a working person. I'm working. I moved to Fort Smith. I had to look on the map where Fort Smith was. I lived in big cities all my life, and I thought, wait a minute, this is a small town I'm moving into. I'm talking about Fort Smith, not Alma. I'm not going to say what Alma was in my world at that time. But anyway, again, nobody knew me, so I almost didn't know myself. God used these changes to press me and to push me, but I didn't know yet just what kind of transition I was going to go through and how much it would stretch me. And I also didn't know some of the secrets, although I had been a believer. Since I was 10 when I officially count my time, I still had so much to learn. I'm going to share some of those things. Uh, the transitions did not get easier. Uh, I'll talk about some of those later. I just want to get into this message. <clears throat> One of the biggest changes that happened in my life at the time I was working for a Christian publisher as an editor, uh, writer, and ghostwriter, that sort of thing. and. Uh, I had a chance to work with a man named Mahesh Shavda, how many of you have heard of Mahesh? Raise your hand. Okay, he's um, originally a Hindu, he was raised in the Brahmin caste which is the highest caste and he was in the military leadership so he was in the highest of the high in the Brahmin caste. But he was actually born in Kenya. Um, and raised in Africa but as an observant Hindu and a Brahmin. He was scheduled to be a priest and whatever else he wanted to do besides that. So the thing that he was taught all of his life was study, study, study. He was a student, student. Well, later he immigrated to the United States and met the Lord and left Hinduism, left his title and all that behind. and. Uh, Um, His life, he had no background in Christianity, so he started studying the Scriptures. And his choice of study was mental health, and he ended up being assigned to work in a uh, mental ward for mentally and physically handicapped children, one of the hardest and toughest places to work, period, because it just breaks your own heart. It breaks your own spirit, and the first batch of kids he worked with were those that that could not even take care of themselves, even their bathroom functions and stuff had to be handled for them. Then after that, they moved on and moved him up to an area with the troubled children who were always under lockdown. Uh, And he got one child (coughs) who was um, dealing with Down syndrome, very severe form. And one of the mannerisms that he had was he had always hit himself in the face over and over and over again. Nothing they do would stop. So finally, before he came along, the staff, the only way they could figure out was to put his arms in splints so that he couldn't reach his face because his face was just a bloody mess day after day after day after day after day. By this time, he's about 12. <clears throat> and so he goes in and he starts working with this guy. And the only problem is once they put splints on the kid, <clears throat> the boy no longer... Beat himself in the face, but the other kids in the ward realized he was could no longer defend himself and they didn't, they were mentally challenged themselves, so they'd come along and push him. So he had fallen in his face and couldn't stop himself over and over. They'd come in in the morning, and there he would, his you know, lips bleeding, nose bleeding, face bleeding. This went on for days. So uh, in comes Mahesh as a young believer. And he's at the point where he is studying the Scriptures as much as he knows without a teacher. He actually, let me correct, he did go to Bible school, but what he was taught in Bible school was not relating to what he was facing. And he was seeing some things in Scripture that were starting to jump out at him. And one thing he understood from his Hindu background was the value of fasting, but so he wanted to see what the Scriptures had to say. So he's dealing with this little boy. And his heart was breaking because he loved this little boy, but he was helpless to make any difference. Helpless. This went on for months, and he began to pray, and he noticed in Scripture some of the statements about fasting, both in the Old Testament and in the New. So he began to fast, and he didn't know any better, so he just jumped in. I mean, he did a 14-day fast first, and then he did a 40-day fast. I mean, 40-day fast, and the first fast for three days, he didn't drink any water, and he was going to go into the fourth day, And then he, but during this fast, he suddenly began to sense God's voice. He could sense God speaking to him and give him leadings at that point, point. and the Lord told him he could drink on the fourth day, which is good because he hadn't done enough study to realize what happens to the body after four days of no water, you start having some serious, serious problems. So... Um, when he finished the 40-day fast of food, he just used fruit juices and, uh, and water at that time. God says, now I want you to pray for this boy. And so he went into his office and he brought this little boy in, still wearing the splints, and he prayed over him. And he had a very severe form of epilepsy and evidently there was some other stuff involved. Epilepsy is a neurological disease, It's, it's uh, most of the time it is physical and you know, embedded in the brain and in the nervous system. But there are still times where there's spiritual involvement and this child has some of that as well. So he prayed for him and then he just by faith took off those splints and the little boy started crying and gently felt his face and never ever again his face again. I mean, just some of this left. He wasn't totally healed of Down syndrome, but this problem was healed, and this little boy would just come in and just be held and knew that he was loved. And that's when God began a journey for Mahesh about the power of fasting and prayer. And if you ever talk with him or anyone who is seasoned in it, they will never say just fasting because just fasting without prayer is just a diet. Just a starvation diet, and whatever benefit you get out of that, whatever benefit you get out of, of uh, just going without food for a while. But if you want spiritual benefit, it must be fasting and prayer together, and that really is the thing you don't want to do. Most of the time, when we face problems, we'll just go with the usual lineup of stuff. Um, it's pretty simple. We'll uh, we'll go with you know. We'll go worship, get our favorite worship thing. And these things are all good and valuable, and I recommend you go in this order. Get, just soak yourself. Worship God, saturate Him in your worship, and then you soak in worship. We go into the God's Word. Hey, do that. Absolutely necessary. Um, we'll get a prayer infusion from other people. We'll have people pray for us, or we pray with people in a prayer circle. Do that. That's powerful. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, Jesus said. Uh, Sometimes we'll get a corporate power boost like you're doing this morning. There's power when God's people come together to study, to pray, to worship together. But then there's times when nothing gets it done. And that's time when you go for the big gun. And the big gun, as far as we can tell in Scripture, and I'll show you, there's not a lot of Scriptures... Tell you right up front, if you go look up fasting or fast in your in your concordance, you'll get a lot of old use of the word fast. Stand fast, therefore, you'll use, see a lot of that. In the New Testament, you'll see less than ten mentions of fasting, depending on whichever version you're looking at. But we're going to hit those today. But those that are there tell us something. Um, I'm going to start first of all because our life really is um, built around basically a hard saying of Paul in Philippians 2, 12 through 3. Read this in King James first, and this is the hard part. Wherefore, My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in My presence only, but now much more in My absence, here's the hard part, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. People have done everything from, hey, this is a contradiction to salvation by grace and all that. This whole thing has caused so much confusion, probably because I didn't go study a little bit more. I'm going to read this from some other translations, but this is the heart of where we're at. And there's keys in here, some key words that tell us what happens when we fast, okay? I have to change pages, guys. I'm still killing trees from messages. I hope you don't mind. It says this. In the Message Bible. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Part of our problem is we don't have any energy. Reverent and sensitive before God. Hey, living in this season, reverent is not one of our words. It just isn't. We say, hey, God, yo, what's up, man? And that's about how we deal with Him. That's, you know, forget it, kind of casual with God. There's a place for reverence and there's a place for fear which can be translated as awe of God. Do you ever take time to go in front of an ocean and realize you are a pea in the whole universe? You're nothing compared to the power of His creation? And that's just what He created with His words. I mean, we need to be awestruck by God if we want awesome results in our lives. If we want something more powerful than we can conceive to overcome the problem bigger than anything we could ever dream up, we have to have an awesome, powerful God. But if we never see God in who He is, seated on His throne, all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving, we don't have a chance. And fasting straightens up. It gives us a marine adjustment to our attitude. It's a two-by-four to the head. It straightens us up. It helps us to see God and who He is, us and who we are, how screwed up and messed up we are and how much God loves to help us because He's the solution. Okay, deep reverence and fear for God. I mean, I, I skipped here. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God Himself willing and working at what will give Him the most pleasure. The New Living Translation of Philippians 2 says this, "'Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire." When we're hurting, when we're in one of those long things that nothing is kicking, desire or zeal is the last thing we have on our list. We just can't do it. And the power, and we don't have power, most of us in this room would admit on any given day, if we pray for somebody in need, we just hope God shows up. The first time I had a miracle in my life, I had the—I don't even think I had the faith of a mustard seed. It was like a faith of a microbe, you know, I had no faith whatsoever. But I did pray, I did in Jesus' name, I walked out thinking, boy, I sure wish that helped, you know. And then God actually brought a woman, miraculously, out of uh, a diabetic coma that she was expected to die of. And that was the first miracle in my life that I knew for sure. There's a God in heaven and He did it all on His own and He didn't get any help from me. But anyway, I just this describes, this Philippians 2, 12 through 13, especially in these newer versions, describes some of the components that show up. If you look at the opposite of these words, deep reverence and fear, desire and power, the opposite of those things is what we live in much of the time. And um, prayer and fasting is powerful. Franklin Jensen, or Jensen Franklin, wrote a book called The Fasting Edge. It's a book I'd recommend for you to read if you want to. It's actually well done. But he says this, when you declare a fast and set time aside for prayer, you're reaching into the river and picking up the sharp edge that God has provided for you to be effective. He's referencing a story about Elisha the prophet when some of his young disciples um, were going to build uh, a shelter. And they're using a borrowed axe, and one of the guys was using it, and the, he neglected to notice that the axe head was getting weak, and it wasn't attached to the handle, and it flew off into the river. And so instead of hiding it, he went ahead and confessed it to the prophet and said, Help me. And the prophet prayed, and the axe head floated to the top. I and mean, you know that, and it was in those days an iron axe. Iron does not float, at least not unless it's shaped into the hull of the ship. It just doesn't float. And uh, so it was a miracle. And this is a reference to that, that when you fast, it's like God reaching into the river and pulling out that edge you need that you didn't even need, knew existed, or you figured it was gone forever. Maheshavda, Shavda, the book that I was able to help him with uh, as a uh, young editor and writer, um, I'd never even heard of him, and so I started talking with him on the phone and work with him in a book. Um, called The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting, and that put me on a fast track. God was about ready to give me a drink out of a fire hose because He knew what was ahead of me and I did not. But I needed that strength. I'd never really i would fasted halfway, kind of, sort of, maybe, probably less than most of you in this room, and my knowledge of fasting was very limited. You know, you can live in church. But sometimes your knowledge just isn't where it should be, and mine wasn't. So doing this book really changed me. But one of the quotes from that book is, if the Son of Man fasted and prayed for spiritual authority, what makes us think we don't have to do this? And he was God. And yet we think we can get by with it. It's the one, one person called it the great neglected discipline of the church. Fasting is powerful. Fasting is painful. Fasting sucks. But fasting is powerful. It is powerful. So we've got to reclaim it. Okay, I'm going to go to a scripture. What he was talking about, what Mahesh was talking about, shows up in several places, but I'm going to read one brief scripture from Matthew 4, 1 through 3. This is the Message Bible. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Fasting with prayer was an assumed in the early church. You realize that? That's why I didn't mention. I'm convinced that's why it's not mentioned as much. I mean, other people may disagree with me, but there are several scriptures. I'm going to read through them. We actually started. Uh, with the scripture readings, the reason we read two of them, the two instances were the apostles, after Jesus was already ascended, after the church was already well on its way, there's proof of the apostles fasting and praying for extra strength, extra guidance, extra oomph in what they were doing. So it was assumed, it was a regular practice. And so we need to assume that it's supposed to be part of our lives. <clears throat> um, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, It came to me earlier, and puppies, I relate to puppies, you know, who doesn't? Um, God loves to put brave puppies in front of fake lions, but only after they've been with Him. You know, have you ever noticed how uh, these little guys, whether they're dogs, cats, goats, whatever they are, uh, if you show up, they seem to be a whole lot braver, whatever they're going to tackle. If, the, if your, their master's there, hey, they'll take them on, doesn't matter how big they are. They'll just go out there and bark them to death, you know, or meow them to death or something. Um, I'm thinking of David. They showed that to the kids yesterday. You know, I am who God says I am. David was the smallest of the small. The forgotten son that the father even forgot when the big prophet came into town and wanted to anoint one of his sons to be king, didn't even bother to call David. David was so forgotten his own dad forgot about him. God loved to take that nobody, spend time with him and put him into the biggest giant Israel had ever faced. And David was a roaring lion because he had been with God. In the New Testament. Two nobodies went in front of the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Court and like the Senate today of the United States, the Sanhedrin, 70 leaders who were both handled all the law, all civil proceedings, and they were the judge and they had the power to be judge and jury, period, with plus nobody. And so two nobodies stood up in front of them. and and actually faced them down with courage in the face of death. And afterwards they said, who are these guys? And the Scriptures say, and they noticed that they had been with Jesus. What turned these nobodies, these uneducated twerps, into people that could shut us up? And they were afraid of them. I want to encourage you, when you spend time with God, even if you think you're a nobody, You're going to discover you are transformed when you spend enough time in God's presence in fasting and prayer. Okay. Um, When I say prayer was assumed, there are two, one, two, three instances in three Gospels, basically Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, where Jesus was challenged to say, hey, how come... Uh, our disciples as the Pharisees, they fast and pray. And how come John's disciples, they fast, but your guys don't even fast at all? What's the deal? Why aren't they holy like us?" And Jesus was saying, you don't expect the people who are with the bridegroom to fast and pray while you're having a celebration. Hey, let the marriage go on. Afterwards, they'll fast. Jesus was talking about after He ascended, then My followers will fast, it's assumed they will fast because I'm not physically with them anymore, okay? So, that's, so we, we, those things are so easy to miss. Um, and then Jesus did talk about fasting. And a lot of times people will say, one of the, one of the uh, gripes I'll say, well, when Jesus taught about fasting, that was before the cross, so it doesn't matter. Are you kidding me? All of his teachings were before the cross. <laughs> Some of the thinking that goes on is astounding to me. Anyway, so Jesus in Matthew 6:16 6, through18 says this: "Whenever you fast, do not put a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they'll be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they will have their reward in full, but you... When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The emphasis here is that Jesus said, whenever or when you fast, not if you fast. Again, it's assumed we're going to fast. Hard question. When was the last time you fasted? Hard question, isn't it? How often do you fast? You don't have to get legalistic about it, but I'm simply saying fasting needs to be a part of a life. The how-to of it is uh, actually very relaxed. It's not a big deal. I prefer if you've never fasted in your life, start very small, fast a meal, (laughs) and then work up to fasting two meals, and then one day, and then work up to a three-day fast, drinking water at least, you know, and then work up to A seven-day fast, a fourteen-day fast, a twenty-one-day fast. I wouldn't recommend you do a forty-day fast unless you know that you know that you know that you know that you know the Lord has told you that you need to do a forty-day fast. That's pretty serious stuff, there. Okay, I'm going to keep moving here. I'm going to read the Message version. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly, shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face, God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He will reward you well. Hallelujah. Um, Another little story. Years ago, I was able to help a man who was an Assembly of God missionary. And in his life, uh, he started in Africa and helped write a book about his experiences there, and then uh, helped him with one about his experiences in South Korea. And he ran across a young man who was trying to preach on a dump in Seoul, South Korea. And he had a lot of zeal but not a lot of training at that time, and his name was David Young Cho, Yonggi Cho. and. Uh, So he began to mentor him and train him, and together they founded a church on that dump. Uh, It's called Yoido Full Gospel Church, and today, still to this day, uh, it is the largest church in the world, I think with 800,000 members. Uh, David Yonggi Cho doesn't pastor it right now. But this man remembers uh, a pastor from the United States coming. and. Uh, taking them on a tour, and so he took them into a prayer room, kind of a, a central command. This church was really built on prayer, and they actually bought a mountain in Korea that overlooks Seoul called Prayer Mountain. And people in the church take turns as they're led, and they go and they pray, and they fast for various issues uh, of all kinds, and it's pretty much 24-7. Um, uh, he went in, and there's a book that looked like New York, the New York City uh, Yellow pages, back when yellow pages were a big deal, and phone books, they were about you know, a foot, foot and a half thick. So uh, he opens it up, and he looks at a newspaper clipping that's there, and it's about a grandmother who was on her way um, to her apartment after going to the store, and she had groceries in her hand. And she heard a scream and looked up and saw a little baby fall out of an apartment building. I do not remember how many stories it was, but it was fatal, the, the baby fell on the sidewalk, died instantly. And this little lady um, sat down her groceries, and as the parents came screaming, she laid hands on the baby, and the baby was raised from the dead. And people were there to certify it, It it was solid enough that it actually was put in the newspaper. Then she picked up her groceries and went on her way. Uh, What made this little lady different was she was a regular at Prayer Mountain. She lived a life of fasting and prayer. So to her, it was perfectly normal. She felt moved by the Holy Spirit that He was going to do a work. She prayed the prayer of faith. Picked up her groceries and went home. And the child lived and made newspapers. And this guy was astounded. And he says, I can't believe this miracle. We've never seen miracles like this in the United States. So I can't believe you have this many in this year. And the pastor said, That's just for this month. And the reason they have so many miracles is because the church family participates in prayer and fasting on a regular basis, and they realize that they are the sons and daughters of God. And they realize that the power of the universe is released in the name of Jesus through them, but they don't have to work up their belief because they live in prayer and fasting. Now. They have one advantage and that in Korea, discipline lifestyle is kind of ingrained and has been for thousands of years into their culture. The Chinese are very similar. So they take to prayer disciplines much more than freestyle Americans do. But you know what? The principles are there for us just as solidly. I don't, if one thing you notice about people like that grandmother, she was not interested in publicity, she was not interested in being a glory cow. She was simply wanting to express the love of Jesus for hurting people. And if you care about that, then you should care about uh, fasting and prayer. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going to read again those scriptures that we had. Listen to this. This is from Acts 13, 1 through 3 in the Message Bible. The congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet teachers in the name of them all. One day as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance." These are the apostles. And these are the teachers. Now these, this, is, this was in Antioch. This wasn't even in Jerusalem. So you can see the list of people involved. This is a bunch of people. When they nicknamed Simon Niger, what that was is that's his country of origin. That's the region where he's from, okay? We're talking about a multinational group here at Antioch. Just stick it in there to let you know. Hey, God's always thought that way. Okay. They were fasting as they waited for guidance, and the Holy Spirit spoke, which He tends to when you wait for guidance, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them. For the work I have called them to do. It's a big deal for God to be commissioned. Do you understand that? When you lay hands on someone, when we lay hands on kids to go to school, we believe it matters. So they commissioned them. In that circle of intensity and obedience of fasting and prayer, whenever you see a phrase like that, they are synonymous. The reason they add an extra phrase is because there are more sides to that gem that can only be seen by turning it. Okay? So it's not enough for this, when this was being translated, it's not enough to say circle of intensity and obedience. They weren't just being intense and obedient, they were also fasting and praying. And that's where the intensity came from, and that's where the ability to be obedient came from, a supernatural level. Then they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Acts 14, this is basically the next chapter, the same guys that were sent out are now doing something in the cities. Watch this. Paul and Barnabas, those were the two guys, handpicked leaders in each church. Their job was to raise up a church and then handpick leaders because when they raised the church, they didn't want it to fall flat the next week because the stars weren't there. A church is built on Jesus Christ, not just the stars who are there. It's people who are the church. After praying, their prayers intensified by fasting notice that. Their prayers intensified by fasting. They presented these new leaders to the master to whom they had entrusted their lives. The church at that time was in danger. To be a Christian then was as dangerous as it still is to be a Christian in the Middle East. No difference. It was just as dangerous only fact was your adversary was far better organized than they are today. You had the Roman Empire to deal with throughout that whole area. And at that time, Christianity was not a friend to the Roman Empire, so it was very dangerous to do what they were doing. Okay, moving on. There are three things that fasting can do, and I'm going to pass this on. These are from… I I just borrowed these from… Pastor Ronnie Floyd, many of you guys are probably familiar with him. I think he's now, um, he's head of the Southern Baptist Convention, but he was pastor of what we now know as Cross Church and some other things up in northwest Arkansas and Rogers. Um, His life changed. He's always been fairly successful as a minister, but in 1995, after doing fasting from college on. He really felt led to do a 40-day fast, the first one in his life and it was scary for him. But he did a 40-day fast and his life has been turned upside down since he did it. The anointing of God increased so powerfully in his life, the church exploded. It was shortly after that that they began work on what we now know as Cross Church up there. And uh, his influence increased. The things he had to say began to strike home. It started transforming the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, during this time, they've adapt- adopted a different stance toward the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. During this time, they've come back to deeper prayer. They've had, they've had a transformation in their denomination. Uh, amazing things have happened, but this man, was changed by fasting. He said, fasting focuses you on the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever been through a period of distraction. I'm sure you have. It's hard to focus on the Lord because the Lord happens to be invisible. For he who would please God must please Him by faith. There's no other way to please Him because we, you know, we can't see Him. He does reveal Himself in many ways. But when you fast, it focuses you on the Lord. Number two, it exposes sin in your life. When you fast, every cuss word you know just might come out that week. Honestly, be prepared. Some you in this room already know. Anyway, I won't name any names. But I'm telling you, it will. It, whatever stuff comes up, the thoughts you think, uh, every temptation known, when you fast, it's not glorious. It's just not pretty every junky thing will rise to the top because you put the water on the boil, it's all going to come up to the top and froth, okay? Don't be shocked. But that's a purpose for that because one of the things that happens in fasting is you see yourself for who you are. I need to hurry this up. Fasting revives us spiritually. Revival or revives is one of those words that is tossed around so much it's kind of useless to us. But it basically means you experience the presence of God in new ways, in fresh ways. He reveals Himself to you. You suddenly can hear His voice. You can understand He's telling you to do this or He's steering you away from this decision when before you wouldn't have a clue. I mean, He could be shouting at you with a megaphone. You'd never know until, you know, the roof comes crashing down on you from something. But fasting sharpens you. And only the Lord can move you to fast. You, you know, I know we, we do call corporate fast, and there's a place for that. But even that, it's because you choose to. Fasting has to be something moved on your heart. You have to be so desperate from the situation that you're willing to endure the pain of fasting because you want results in your life. And fasting transformed us. I will tell you, um, there came a time after working on Mahesh... Shavda's book that I felt led to start a fast, and for two years I fasted lunch during the weekdays. And I traded food in that one hour for prayer, and I'd go outside, and this was in Pennsylvania, so if there was a foot of snow or two feet on the snow or a blizzard, that was kind of fun for me. I'd go out in there and that's where I'd pray. Uh, but for two years, and what happened during those two years, God got the chicken out of me because God had given me a, a, a thing to do and He confirmed it over and over again that I was to leave a perfectly good job when I was at the peak. Everything was perfect. I had gone through a rough time and now I was the, I was the favorite son and everything because I was having some success writing and, and, and doing some stuff. And the Lord said, leave that perfectly good job and start a, start a company based on nothing. I had no cash to start a company, and I did. And the Lord blessed us and ultimately catapulted us out of Pennsylvania to Fort Smith. And um, then it has carried us and sustained us. And in my current um, transition period, it hadn't been easy when the Lord said, you know, I served the church here and gave up writing, and then the Lord says after twelve years, it's time Whether you want to or not, it's time. You need to release this to Pastor Devin. And part of me didn't like that because I knew what it meant. I mean, I'm going to have to find myself again. I'm going to have to find a new title. What am I going to do? Chief trash guy, I guess. Anyway, it wasn't easy, and it wasn't pretty either. Just ask Pastor Devin someday. Some moment he may actually share with you just how rough it was. But we made it through, and God is giving me fresh direction. I encourage you, if you're up against it, if you are tired of the game don't suspect that the game is caused by the church or the game is caused by your so and so spouse or you know your family members or what people say around no the problem is usually almost always in here and if you take it to the lord and you begin to fast then by the end of the fast and continuing on, perhaps for years, those two years of fasting carried and fed our family, I believe, for nearly 12 years. And then the Lord made, me, made it necessary for me to seek Him again. He makes us leaky vessels, I think, on purpose because if, if one, one dab will do you, we would think we could do the rest without God. That's the problem with people thinking they can get saved and then go... You know, live like hell the rest of their lives and then everything will be hunky-dory when when the end comes. Not. But here's what we need. God makes us need Him. If we're leaky, we need to have fresh life. And I encourage you, if you are at that point in your life, where especially if you're in transition and you have just you are at the end of your rope and the usual day-to-day hum-ho stuff isn't getting it done... Set a fast. Make up your mind, I'm going to fast. Then set a length of period, not too weird, guys. Don't go 14 days and you've never done a fast in your life. But set a day, make the decision so you won't back out when you are feeling weird. Because you will. Your first day will be hell on earth. But anyway, uh, you make your decision, I am going to fast. I will not eat food for 12 hours or whatever because that will help you keep it. If you mess up, hey, start over again. No big deal. But when you make a decision, do it. And spend time in prayer as well. You don't have to pray the entire time, but you need to spend time in prayer with your fasting. You will see the power of God released in your life. Things will not stay the same. All right? You guys have been great. You guys have been patient too. Ready to come up, Pastor Devin? All right. Well, we love you guys. I just want to encourage you. I, when I think about this church and I think about your individual faces and I see the stuff you're facing, I see what's needed is the power of God, the love of God, where sometimes you feel so unloved you need His touch to reassure you that you matter to Him, even screwed up, which you do, because we're all screwed up all the time. So anyway, He loves us right where we're at, but we need a special touch. Fasting will crack this thing. It will crack it wide open. I guarantee it. I back it. But you've got to approach this thing in faith. All right.
1: All right. How are you guys feeling today? Everyone's ready for lunch? Yes, gotcha. Fasting has a... Uh, it has a place in our faith. It's If you create any space in your life where you begin to remove anything, other things, distractions, emotional things, if you set aside five minutes a day just to put down your phone and to be present with God, it's going to have huge benefits. And so since we are human, we have all different parts. We have minds and Emotions, and we also have bodies. These are three different ways we have to connect to God. So fasting fits in in the space where there are there are ways that we are numb to God, with all the sensations and the things that we go through every day through our bodies. When you take that sensation, that experience of food, and you kind of put it aside, you are priming yourself to connect, to sense, to be aware. Have you ever? been hungry before where you start to get that weird kind of it's almost like your your stomach makes sounds it's like frog noises you know what I'm talking about it's real awkward okay you start to become aware of a hunger pain have you ever felt a hunger pain before yes right and so when you begin to remove that pleasure all of a sudden your body becomes sensitive it tells you that something is missing right and when you are sensitive in any area emotionally physically mentally if you center that, you take that sensitivity and you point it somewhere and you focus that on God, you will encounter God in a powerful new way. So uh, I just want to invite the prayer team to come on down. Uh, as always, every one of us, we walk in here with pains and baggage and junk. We're just, we're just human. We're just normal. All right. And so we always want to make sure you have the opportunity to have that. Father, I pray over everyone in this room today. Father, we ask that uh, you would just kind of plant an idea in our minds today, Lord, just of a, a safe place to start with you. Whether it's to, to use our lunch breaks to, to spend time with you, to, just to kind of go away for people to kind of be in the car or at a park or some kind of way to start opening more space in our lives to connect to you. If there is a, just to, to start with one, one meal a week, to go without lunch just once this week and to spend that time with you just to see what happens when we are increasing our sensitivity to your voice and your nearness in our lives, so Father, Lord, we ask that you'd make us sensitive right now. If there's any hurt or heaviness or pain that we're kind of covering up or being numb to, that we need to kind of leave this morning, we ask that you'd make us feel it right now. And Father, we just hand our lives over to you. Father, have your way in us and our relationships and our family and our friends and our children and our workspaces, Father, in every area of our lives. We want more of you in Jesus' name. And everyone said.